0: And Welcome to the podcast. This is Capital Stories, where we talk to real people about real issues and explore intersections of life and faith to encourage you in your personal walk with Jesus. When we first started this channel, one of the reasons we did so was really to strengthen the body of Christ by having a better understanding of who is in the body of Christ. And this is one of those episodes where we are talking to someone you may be sitting next to at church. About their story and where they come from and how God's worked in their life and yeah, Jonathan Tran yeah. is who we talked to and oh, and what a story! Amazing.
1: I have sat next to him, <laughs> you know, or and served with him, you know, in different capacities and didn't know a story. And he's moving. Yeah, right? yeah he's, uh, by the time you're listening to this, right. he's
0: not part of Capitol's community anymore. But he's he moving wanted to Seattle to
1: share this story, and mm-hmm. I'm so glad he did. And I will tell you, I was. 37 seconds in and like from the like how he came into this world and and was just kind of hooked hooked at how he reflected on his life and he had to survive and the suffering and the thriving and how God just reached down when he needed it and And has continued to do so in
0: his life too and that's one thing that I took away from this is God uses people to impact people, yep, and yep. you never know if you could be one of those people, yep, to someone yep. else. So it's, that was inspiring. Just we're, we're gonna stop talking about it and let you listen. It's worth a <laughs> listen. Here is Jonathan on Enjoy. Capital Stories. Thanks for being here, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to talk to you today, and I'm excited that we could make this happen today because in like less than two weeks, you are on your way across the country on a big move. And we'll get into that a little bit later, but I appreciate you making the time before you left to to share your story. I think people are going to be interested just to hear how God's been working in your life and and where he's led you to this point and where he's leading you in the future. So I want to just dive in, help us get to know you a little bit better. Talk about your history. I understand it's a more unique history compared to a lot of Kids growing up in the U.S., you had a pretty unique background. So just talk about your history and what led you to where you are.
2: For sure. I mean, let's go ahead and start with my parents. Both my parents are refugees from the Vietnam War. My mom's half Vietnamese and half French, where my dad was half Native American and half Vietnamese. So all in all, I grew up in a Vietnamese household. Again, refugees from the war. And they lived a very traumatic life themselves and did the best of what they had. Then they immigrated to the United States. I was born in Boston, Massachusetts, where my mom was a prostitute and my dad was just a run-of-the-mill like, alcoholic. So right off the bat, neither of them really wanted to have a kid, let alone have a relationship outside of just kind of what they were looking for in that moment. But mm-hmm. hey, Jonathan came about. <laughs> And then my early childhood, they tried to make it work. So I was living in Boston, Massachusetts for the first three years of my life. And then my mom met another guy. And then through him, I have two half brothers. And then we all relocated to St. Paul, Minnesota, where I grew up the majority of my life.
0: Your mom, stepdad, and two brothers. And yep.
2: You. And obviously, my mom, like I said, wasn't planning on having me. And most of my childhood, she made that very clear that I just wasn't someone or some. Thing she would say frequently that she wanted in her life. So growing up, even though my mom was there and there was a stepdad and two brothers, oftentimes I was on the streets just because the street felt safer than home due to physical abuse, emotional neglect, and so on and so forth.
0: Oh my goodness, that's I didn't realize it about your your past even until just now. What was that like? I mean, what did she what did she say things to you about? Yeah, just, I mean,
2: no? it was challenging just because it's like. I'm a very small child at this point, And it's like, I went to school. So I would hear stories about how other students or kids my age had a relationship with their parents and both parents mm-hmm. and specifically like, a very stable household. Because like, like I mentioned, my mom was a refugee. So she didn't really have an education, worked odd jobs, obviously the prostitution, and whatever she can do to make money. So growing up, we lived in severe poverty, as well as like, constantly moving because we couldn't make rent. And there was a series of homelessness throughout my childhood. And obviously up to this point, you can get this image that I didn't have the closest relationship with my mom. And it got to the point where when I was around 12 or 13 years old, she kicked me out. So I was kind of on my own as a teenager. Wow.
0: What do you mean by that?
2: So let's back up a second. So again, my mom uh, took me and we lived together in St. Paul, Minnesota, Mm -hmm. my dad was paying child support up to this point until my like late childhood, early adolescence, where he was in a severe car accident and then was legally claimed as like disabled due to a severe memory loss. That being said, he no longer at this point had to pay child support. And my mom was like, well, you're not bringing in money from child support. So you're kind of good to go on your own, essentially. So that was really weird because like as a 13, 14 year old. You didn't understand.
0: I mean, this is you're a kid making this making sense of the world. And this happens to you.
2: So it's really interesting, though, because around the same time that I got kicked out, I was couch surfing throughout middle school. And I had this really good friend by the name of Michael. And Michael grew up in a Christian family, mom and dad in the same household, like looking from an outsider looking in very healthy family structure. And he actually invited me to youth group as a middle schooler. And that's when I was like, Christianity, because like I knew what church was, and I've heard the name Jesus all the time, but I never really was exposed or given an opportunity to really sit through a church gathering until middle school, where Michael introduced me to youth group. I
0: want to get back to this, but I'm stuck in my brain about something you said earlier about just. I'm picturing a 12 year old couch surfing, and we've talked on this channel before to to folks who are close to like the, the foster care system and and just resources here in Utah at least for for kids on their own without parental support. And I'm wondering, were you in and out of this system? Like, what was that like for you? I mean, trying to just picture what it's like for a 12-year-old to couch surf and <laughs> what yeah. that looks like logistically.
2: So it was this weird where half of it was couch surfing and me doing it on my own. And then there was like the foster just system like from and school, CPS or? and all that stuff. Okay. So like for a time period, we did like my brothers and I would get pulled out of my mom's house for a season, put in CPS and go to foster homes. And then my mom would like go to court and then would get the all clear to have us back in the household only for a couple months. And then we repeat the cycle all over again. So then that was a situation. And then up until I was like in middle school is when we kind of stopped getting help from like the government or CPS just because I, specifically my mom had more harsh relationships with me versus my two younger brothers. So they have a very great relationship with her. And then for me, it got to the point where, all right, I tried talking to my high school guidance counselors and they would put me in this and it's more trouble than it's worth because there was never any resolution and I would always end up back in my mom's custody so when she kicked me out it was like all right well I need to survive and I have a decent head on my shoulders so it's like school was always important to me because a that's where I got my meals I, I just to back up education super important to me I'm the first person in my family to graduate college so I knew every single day I wanted to go to school and that was like a good eight to nine hours of a safe space for me. And then I mean, even as as
0: a 12 year old, like college probably is not on your mind, but like you're thinking this is a safe place. This is where I can get food. That's what, what a saving grace to lead down the road to now having a college degree and the path we'll, we'll talk about down the road. But.
2: So then to answer your question, it's like there were resources and I did work with CPS when they picked me up. I was really close with school counselors, guidance counselors, I spent a lot of time at like the boys and girls club and any community space. So again, with the whole couch surfing thing, there are days where I was able to play it off like oh, I'm going to, or I'm asking a friend to come sleep over to hang out with them. But then other than that, you find your local resources or where you can spend time up till the door's locked and then yeah. you figure it out from there.
0: Wow. That's incredible. I, I, having talked to you just a couple times, we didn't get into all of those details and just thanks for sharing some of those, those details from your past. I'm sure it's, it sounds like you've worked through them a lot, but that I'm sure just is still traumatic in its own way to like have, I don't know, have lived through that experience where the memory of just not being wanted and overcoming that reality now as a Christian and knowing that who you are in the eyes of God is, is the truth. But for so long in your life, I'm so sorry you experienced
2: that. It was challenging. It's still challenging. It definitely did not feel good in the moment. But looking back at it as a 27-year-old, I wouldn't appreciate God for being the all-loving father if it wasn't experiencing that sense of unwantedness or abandonment. And this is one of those things where, yes, I wish it was a little bit different, but the reverence and respect I have for God now, like I wouldn't change that for anything.
0: Wow. Even in these most awful circumstances, he can teach us something about his character and love. That's, that's incredible and mature to have realized. So let's get back to Mike, your friend that you met through youth group and yeah. couch surfing. What's, what's the next part of that story?
2: From there, I just started going to youth group because I was genuinely curious about the community there. Up until youth group, I really, well, like, all right, here are adults. there. by high school guidance counselors. They are my teachers. They are the Boys and Girls Club mentors, and, like, they get paid to do this. But then I go to youth group, and then obviously there's the youth pastor who gets paid, but, I mean, he's there for a calling, right. hopefully. But then also there's, like, college students who are volunteering, and they treated me as if I was their family, and that's something that, like, piqued my interest, because here I am, an adolescent that has a family, but family wants nothing to do with him. I'm navigating life on my own. And all of a sudden I go to this building called a church and there are people who genuinely care about me and they want to be invested in my life. And it With was,
0: no obligation. Yeah, no obligation
2: to- either. And it was a difference. So I was like, "What's different about these people?" And I kept going back to youth group trying to figure out, "Like, why? Like, what's your angle? Like, what do you want from me, or why are you doing this?" So that kind of started me. <laughs> it's, it's too me, good to be true. Exactly. <laughs> so that started me going to youth group almost every week, going to winter camps, summer camps, retreats, so on and so forth. Then I've been doing that for about like a month and a half, and I go to a. Summer Bible camp, where it was very like my first time at Bible camp, and it was really cool because you do the games, you meet like hundreds of other teenagers. And it was at camp where I gave my life to God, and I was like, it was really interesting because I remember being in my cabin by myself because I'm frustrated because it's like I don't understand why I'm upset. This is super emotional, this is weird. And God just kind of spoke to me and said, All right, well, you want a family, and you are able to receive a family, and I will give you everything and anything you need to pursue my kingdom and your calling. Mm -hmm. And this is right around when I was like 14 or 15 or so. And that was kind of the moment where I was like, all right, I think I get it. The reason why the folks I've met at church, the reason why Michael has been a really good friend was because they understand what it means to be in the body of Christ. And Mm -hmm. I want access to that.
0: And you felt that for the first time after being neglected of that for so long, That's incredible. And, and for such a young person to be so solid in that is incredible. So tell me more about this, this moment where it kind of clicks for you. Like I've, I have a similar story of just like coming to Christ at summer camp and just the kind of spiritual high that that environment creates. But talk to me more about just the ongoing, like after that moment, what was the ongoing discipleship like for you, this teenager who's got these unique circumstances trying to make ends meet? literally
2: what was funny because it was like a nine-day difference from the way i look at the world before camp versus the way i looked at the world after camp one thing that i think is kind of funny is i remember at this point like facebook like i got my first facebook account so i would like post things about like what i'm doing and it was like i'm at work or i need a place to sleep tonight to after camp was like oh bible verse of the day and then i had friends like from middle school and high school, I was like, oh, man, you really need to back off all this Jesus stuff, Bible versus the day. That's ridiculous. So in regards to discipleship and kind of like like you mentioned, like when you go to camp, there's that like spiritual high, if you would. Yeah. For me, it's like I finally gave my life to Christ. And I've always been someone that when I decide to do something, I do it and I'm all in. So for me, it was like, all right, I gave my life to Christ. I want to be a Christian and I want to pursue the kingdom of God. So that means I need to shift the way that I live. I had a college professor that said something along the lines of, in order to get someone to believe, they need to feel like they belong. And Mm -hmm. when they belong, they then believe. When they start believing, then they start behaving. Mm -hmm. So for me, I always sensed that, I always longed for that sense of belonging. And when I finally felt like I belonged to this community, which is the church, then I started believing who God is in my Mm -hmm. life and the fact that Jesus died on the cross for me to live a full and a free life. And once that clicked, then my behavior started to shift and change to where I wanted to have coffee with my youth leaders on a regular basis and pursue more conversations with my youth pastor and really dive into the word and learn more about the Bible. So it was really that like the flip switched to where I'm not alone to I now have a community and in this community, I want to find my part.
0: Yeah. And contribute your part. That's, That's incredible. There's lots of points along the way between then and, and now. I Maybe let's get some highlight reel of like, walk us through some significant moments of after that point to...
2: I mean, college was definitely a huge milestone marker in my entire life. Because again, I mentioned I'm the first person to finish college in my biological family. But the cool radical thing is... I couldn't afford college. It was, like, not even a thought. Like, yes, education was important as a kid because I wanted to, like, break the status quo. And I thought I was going to do the whole, like, go to community college, take out a lot of debt and wait. But I had a really good friend who went to Azusa Pacific University. He was a couple years older than me. So I kind of looked up to him like a big brother. His name was Andrew. One day, Andrew was like, so you're a junior, almost approaching your senior year. What are you thinking about college? He was like, well, I need to work. I need to graduate high school first, and I'll figure that out. And then, I just again said, I'm probably just going to go to a local community college and figure that out afterwards. And he was like, well, you should just apply to Azusa Pacific and see how that goes. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to go to a university fresh out of high school. And I played off like, oh, man, that's $40 for an application fee. So then he sat me down with his computer. We went through the application, then he paid for the fee. Wow. And then, like, surprisingly, I got into Azusa Pacific and looked at the price tag. And I'm like, nope, not happening. (laughs) How are we going to make this work? Then a couple months goes by. It's finally fall of senior year. And then Andrew's back in California because at this time he's a student. And he gives me a phone call like, hey, uh, did you get your acceptance letter? What's going on? Like, I got accepted. There's no way I can... Like, afford it. And then his response was, Well, don't make any decisions until you come visit the campus. And then I was like, I can't afford a flight out there. So he called his parents, and his parents paid for my flight to wow. come to Azusa, California for an all access, which is like a preview weekend. I get to California, and I'm all like, This is awesome. In and out, the sun, this <laughs> campus is gorgeous. And Azusa Pacific is a liberal arts Bible college that's pretty well recognized in like the Wesleyan branch of faith just because John Wesley is a very, like, prominent, like, theologian figure there. And, like, in Southern California, Azusa Pacific has a reputation. So, it's, like, a pretty good ministry slash Bible school is what I'm trying to get to. At
0: this point, were you wanting to pursue ministry?
2: I think so. I would say yes. So, again, I gave my life to Christ when I was... An adolescent, So 14, 15 at that camp. And then from there, I volunteered in kids ministry. I was a student leader in youth ministry, went on every missions trip I potentially could. And I always knew that ministry was the calling. And at that time, I thought I was going to work for a church for the rest of my life. But a lot has happened since then. And I do believe that ministry is my calling, which is why I'm super excited for this transition to Seattle. Which we'll
0: get to in a second. But that's, I just, I think about God just working in all these these ways that are so unexpected. Like you're a homeless kid from Minneapolis and going to college in California does not seem like the next step for you. And you even said this, like, that's, of course, I can't even afford the application fee. How is this even going to be the case? But then through this friend and through his parents who, who support you, these barriers are getting knocked down and poof, you're at this university (laughs) your freshman year.
2: Yeah. Well, this is the wild thing. So that was again, a preview weekend, that preview weekend, I just really feel the stir of the Lord again. And God just says, Hey, this is your next step. You will come to this university. And I just remember just falling on my knees and weeping because like, all right, God, you're saying that I'm called to go to college, but how is that possible? And again, like education has always been a goal of mine, but as like a 17, 18 year old, like paying my own bills, like doing school full time and then working full time at the local Starbucks, it's like, I don't see it happening. Cause I can barely, again, Survive and stand on my own two feet. And then essentially the next day, again, it was a preview weekend. So it was like three to four days. I met with my admissions counselor who was assigned to me. So her and I have been in dialogue for several months now because she's trying to get me to commit to APU. And I just straight up say, hey, I can't afford this. Like, I don't know how. I don't have parents to help me. It's like I could do the whole debt route, but it's like I don't know if my credit score is going to allow me to get like loans or any of that stuff. And then I gave her my testimony from, again, talking about my family heritage of parents being refugees from the war to my mom and my dad having the fling in that transaction, if you would, to me being coming to existence, followed by the homelessness and the very like troubled childhood that i had to the point where like all right i feel called here to the school i don't know how then she said hey just go ahead and put everything you said in the letter and let me figure it out so then i went home typed up my testimony in a formal letter and sent it her way and then she presented her boss her boss presented his boss went up the chain to where then I received a very generous grant where whatever financial aid and federal funding didn't cover, the university paid for the rest of my college.
0: Wow. The door that blew open for this to be possible is there's nothing short of a miracle. Yeah. <laughs> That's incredible. I want to back up a little bit and just dig into something you you mentioned a couple times, and I'm curious just to hear your take on it. So when you talk about hearing from God and feeling these these impressions from God. Like, I'm curious what that's like for you personally. I think as we talk about on this channel, we talk about intersections of life and faith and just where the rubber meets the road when it comes to living out our faith. And this I think is a a challenging topic because it's different for everyone. And for someone who's maybe, I don't know, like not heard an audible voice from God, like this can feel a little bit like, oh, well, that's not me, or I don't get that at all, or a little bit dismissive of the whole experience. So what's that What's that like for you when it comes to like, when you describe hearing from God?
2: So for me, like from the very beginning, God has been very audible with me. Mm. And it's really interesting because I do have friends who say, "What? what is that like? Because I yeah. don't get it. And for me, this is somewhat of a parallel analogy, but similar to Jacob wrestling with the angel. That was a physical manifestation of God wrestling with another human being as kind of a intersection of rubber hitting the road. We're going to wrestle. We're going to hash this out. For me, it starts with like a very emotional feeling, like where I genuinely do feel my heart stirring. It's like, all right, what's going on? Why is this bugging me so much?
0: Just like a general unsettledness, like- what is this feeling sort of thing? Yeah, You can just identify like, hmm, this is off.
2: This is off. This is me because I'm a very logical thinker and I'm normally able to quickly think of solutions to problems or I figure out how I'm going to respond versus react to things. But when it comes to hearing God, it starts in the heart and it's wrestling and it bugs me, which I know like, all right, this isn't something that's earthly. It's something spiritually. Mm. And then from there goes, all right, I'm gonna go through all of my checklists. Like, have I eaten today? Have I slept? Making sure that physically I'm <laughs> Make sure okay. This
0: truly is God. And, and then if my I'm belly. still
2: <laughs> wrestling and I have that heart stirring, it's like, all right, God, what is going on here? And I generally ask God, what is going on here, and what do you want to happen? And that's kind of where then God says, this is what I want you to do. And I most of the time say, no, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when, like, again, that wrestling, but it's more internal and just kind of dialogue that goes back and forth. So, like, back to the whole deciding to submit and say, all right, God, I feel called to Azusa Pacific. I can't afford it you're going to make this happen. And I understand. So show me the way. So it's more so like God prompting something. And then if I resist, then that's where that wrestling and that stirring and that dialogue comes to place to the point where like, I can make a thousand excuses not to do something, but it's that moment where it's like, all right, God, let this happen.
0: Yeah. If this is to be, it's got to be complete trust because it's impossible without the trust. And you talk about this wrestling. Mm -hmm. Has there ever been a time where it's been hard for you to trust or like you mentioned like that's the first reaction is often like okay no way but then you kind of give into it but I don't know have there been moments where you're like I don't know is this
2: I think so so. and that's kind of was the situation with me deciding to move to Seattle because I've only been in Salt Lake City for less than two years it's been a year and maybe nine or ten months and uh, when we first met, I looked you in the eyes and said, hey, I really love going to Capital. I want to get involved more yeah. to the point where I, I was trying to plant roots here in Salt right. Lake City because I didn't want to go anywhere. But this last April, I got to visit a really good close friend over Easter weekend. And there, there was that moment where I flew into Seattle. I had dinner with this wonderful couple that I met at my best friend's wedding. And we spent four hours at the dinner table just talking about my story and how God has opened doors left and right and how my desire is to do ministry, even though I'm not currently working for a church. But most importantly, I want to do ministry in a community development standpoint through a coffee shop. I've been a barista for 12 years and coffee has always been really important to me. At the end of that conversation, the couple turned to me and was like, well, why are you in grad school right now if you don't want to preach or you don't want to teach? And that was a question that started it. That started disturbing, like, ah, oh, why am I doing this? Like, why am I at grad school? So then we went back to their house, settled in for the night, and I didn't sleep at all that night. Because there was this idea, this vision of uprooting myself yet again, moving to Seattle to start a nonprofit coffee shop that will work with at-risk or homeless youth in hopes to create an establishment where it's safe and secure it's a positive place where they can spend their time and they can earn a little money if they choose to work for me. And
0: this is the part of the story where I, when we talked about this recently, I was like, this is incredible. Like on the one hand, I'm like incredibly upset that you're moving because <laughs> I'm like, man, we just started to get to know each other and you've been such a huge part of this community in this short amount of time you've been here. But it was so clear that this again, this move to Seattle has been another one of those moments where God's just opening all the right doors and closing the wrong ones so clearly. And walk me through, walk the listeners through some of, What's just been the crazy parts of, okay, yes, this is clearly the path.
2: So here's a wild thing about grad school. So I mentioned a moment ago that I was in grad school at the time. I was pursuing a master's in theology through Fuller Theological Seminary, which is a very well-renowned, well-recognized theological seminary. The only way I was able to like pursue the degree is through, yet again, another really cool God, like, like. Provision. So I mentioned I went to Azusa Pacific. There I got a degree in ministry. I had this professor by the name of Cheryl Crawford, who at the time I thought she couldn't stand me. All the papers I've gotten from her were the most harshly graded ones. Like I was pretty much a BA student, but all of her papers were low C's, high D's, and she really challenged me. And then it got to the point where even in the classroom setting, like I thought she was like making fun of me and she would pick arguments with me for the sake of just like being mean. But unfortunately, she passed away a couple years ago due to breast cancer, which was a huge bummer. And like, yes, at the time in college, I thought we didn't have that great of a relationship, but it was a bummer hearing that someone who helped shaped and mold my understanding of theology and the Bible and ministry. Yeah, and really I, pushed I thought, you. She really did challenge and push me. So during the time of her funeral, it was an online funeral because this is like right at the peak of the pandemic. I received so many emails and phone calls from faculty and her close friends saying, Oh my gosh, we are so sorry for your loss. And like, it's a bummer. I really miss Cheryl thinking that they were just reaching out to everyone. But what I didn't know at the time of my undergrad is Cheryl genuinely cared for me as a student, as well as someone that she considered like a mentee to her like I guess I was informed by the like department administrator that Cheryl would always come into the department like offices and talk about oh Jonathan made up this good point and I pushed him and he was able to better explain his like understanding or his theory and it got to the point where she would tell her friends and family about me and my story and the progress from freshman year to senior year and I didn't realize that in the moment but then I get a phone call from her best friend, Amy, a couple months after she passed away. And Cheryl was a very wise, God-honoring human being. She did a lot of youth ministry, did a lot of teaching, and she also ran several state farm agencies, which sounds super random. But nice. through that, she brought in a lot of funds and she stored her funds very, very well. So to this day, there's this memorial fo- or foundation or fund called the Cheryl Crawford Memorial Fund. And uh, several of her students from her time as a professor received access to this fund. And I am one of them. Wow. So at first I was like, all right, cool. Cheryl left this money. Maybe I should use that to pursue my education because she was my educator. And it got to the point where I was on the fence about it for the first couple of years after I heard the news, moved out here and then decided, all right, I haven't really done anything like church related in a while. So maybe it's time for me to go back and pursue a degree. And then hopefully this master's will land me another church job. But all that being said, I had a really good time taking classes from Fuller, but it just never felt right. And then again, I'm in Seattle. This conversation stirs up. I feel like I would be doing the Lord and this memorial money a dishonest by continuing my education mm-hmm. versus using it to help start this nonprofit right away. Mm-hmm. So then a couple of weeks later, I call Amy, the gal who's in charge of this stuff, just the funding and everything. And I said, hey, Amy, I think I might take a hard right turn. And rather than finishing my degree, I'm going to use this money to start a nonprofit. And her response was, I'm really glad you're deciding that coffee nonprofit, because when you said that you wanted to go to grad school, I couldn't say no, but it hmm. just didn't seem like the right move for you. Wow.
0: That's... I- you, and there's so many things to say about that. But the first thing that I can't get over is just the incredible work of that woman, Cheryl. Just you had no idea that she was investing in you in such a tangible way and in just and through her teaching. And she needed zero recognition for that because you you didn't even know. I said no of this, Had no idea. And just the reminder that that gives to me of just like, I don't know, the impact that we all can have on someone's life without making a show of it is incredible. And it's just, the opportunity is it's too big to pass up right so it's just inspiring to me i mean thank you for just sharing that example of her because it's i i hope people will take that and and run with it and and just inspire someone and build someone up without them even knowing
2: and the exciting thing about like this money coming from cheryl is like cheryl and i shared many cups of coffee over my time in undergrad whether it's to go over some papers go over coursework or just for discipleship and she always made it very clear that someday when she retired she wanted to start a coffee shop but unfortunately like her health got in the way of that. So for me, I think it's such an honor and a blessing to be able to A, receive the call of ministry specifically to start a nonprofit coffee shop, but B, to continue to share Cheryl's legacy through that through because coffee. she discipled mm-hmm. me and hopefully through me mentoring these students in the future, I get to return the favor.
0: This is incredible. I mean, I know it's all super fresh and super fast, but that's how life has been for you yeah. for the last re- the last bit of time. But what's what's the update on the coffee shop? I mean, you're moving like next week or two, two weeks from now.
2: So I'm moving in two weeks. It's pretty wild because it's happening fast and it's happening furiously. I applied for my 501c3 nonprofit licensing two weeks ago. It's been approved through the state of Washington. So next, it's being approved pending through the federal government. Since then, I have the initial startup money from the Cheryl Crawford Memorial Fund. But even in conversations of like just letting people know what I'm doing, whether it's phone calls, Zoom, or in-person dinners or coffees, I've had a lot of folks being very excited to invest money into this nonprofit that is on route to happening. So it's really exciting. I also had a really good friend from capital here who offered to build my website for free and like web designers make a lot of money and that's what he does for a profession. So it's pretty wild that he's like, all right, yes, I do this and most people pay me, but I'm going to do this for free for you. So I have a website being built. I have the name of the coffee shop. It's coffee tab. TAB. TAB is short for tabernacle, which is a place of meeting and the place of dwelling. So the aspiration is to create this community space where individuals can check their worries, their anxieties, and their baggage at the door temporarily to come in and dwell with either the Spirit of God, with a friend, with a book, or with a cup of coffee. So I'm pretty excited. So it's moving really fast, just because again, like now I in the state of Washington, I am running a nonprofit through licensing, I have the startup money, and I'm bringing in donations, the websites being built. So the next couple months will be just getting my name out there letting folks know that, hey, my name's Jonathan, I'm here to start this coffee company that's going to work with at risk youth, and just really do my best to put my best foot forward.
0: And I mean, I can't think of a better person who God could call to this with your own history. It's, it's incredible. Every bit of our story can be used for something to glorify God. And, and even these parts of it that seem so senseless and like, why, God, would you have a 12-year-old kid wonder, does he even matter on this earth? But now a decade later, here's, here's your why, in, in a sense. And that's, that's encouraging to me.
2: It's encouraging and it's exciting. Like I said earlier in our conversation is I wouldn't change my childhood for anything because A, then I wouldn't have the reverence and the respect for God. But also I was that homeless kid wandering the streets who was at risk and didn't know where his next meal was coming from or a safe space to spend their time. So for me, I get to take all those lessons and that experience, apply that with the guidance of the Holy Spirit, hopefully. And through that, then maybe I can make a difference in the next kid's life and so on and so forth. And even with Cheryl, it's like really cool that she left that money for someone to do something with. And it's really cool that God lined it up to where this coffee shop is going to happen. But it's not just a coffee shop. But again, in hopes, it's the place of dwelling where his spirit's there and people get to go there relax, feel safe, recharge, and be inspired to go out and yeah. do what they're supposed to be doing.
0: And have an encounter with God. What might you share with, with people as, as you're kind of reflecting on the wild ride that God's had you on so far in your life? Maybe it's someone who's, I don't know, facing their own decisions of like, what is next for me, God? Or like, why did you have this happen in my life? And what's the point of all of that? I don't know. What would you share with them in general?
2: I think what I would share for an individual who's facing a decision in their life is rather than trying to lay out the options in your head, just ask yourself, all right, God, what are you going to do next? Because I think it's really easy for us to say, all right, I have a decision to make, God, go ahead and give me what I need to make the decision versus there's that proverb that says like a man may be the one that sets his foot, but the Lord's the one who directs it. I feel like if we made most of our decisions with that kind of mindset that we are making the moves and making the decisions, but God's spirit's going to guide us. Mm-hmm. And when God's piloting the ship, if you will, you'll get to where you need to be. Because for me, it's like, A, I never thought I'd live in Utah, but here I am. Mm-hmm. And then I, the Pacific Northwest is always my end goal, but selfishly, I always thought it was Portland and now I'm going to Seattle. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's only God who was able to direct that, direct my heart and my spirit to go to Seattle.
0: Yeah, he's guiding the path and you're just trying to be obedient. That's encouraging. Well, as we close, I'm just curious to see, like, if you were to picture God's path for you with this new venture in in the next bit of time, like, what's your hope for for where this will be?
2: I mean, like I mentioned, I'm kind of a strategic thinker. So my hope is for this next season of my life, I'm pursuing a uh, grant writing certification in hopes to A, get a job to pay the bills, but then B, network with nonprofits in Seattle. So the first six to eight months is just networking and bringing funds for coffee tab. I'm really, and this is me kind of being ambitious, is like I'm really hoping to launch the shop either August or September of 2023. So that's going to be a little over a year from now. Mm -hmm. And then once the shop is up and running, and that's when I'm going to work closely with local parole officers, social workers, and high school counselors. And hopefully they have students that could use a place like Coffee Tab and they send them my way. So all in all, I'm really hoping that over the next year, God will continue to guide me and will continue to show me his provision as he has my entire life. So that way, a little over a year from now, the doors can open and I can be stewarding a place of dwelling and a place of meeting where folks can encounter God.
0: Well, I, I thank you for making time for this and, and suggesting it before you leave. I really, really appreciate the, just the insight and your encouragement. And we will be praying for every step of the way along these, this journey that you've got ahead of you.
2: For sure. And thank you for your time. Capital has been home for the last several months, I think eight or nine months. And it's funny because I don't think I would have been able to really press in, press back into my calling in ministry if it wasn't for me being a part of the Catholic community and seeing the Holy Spirit move in the lives of those around me. So just thank you for letting me be a part of this yeah. great community.
0: Thanks for being a part of it.
1: Thanks for listening. Like Eric said in the intro, and I agree with him that that this really, I, I Stopped listening when I got to the very end and just went, Oh my goodness, God, keep my eyes and my ears and my heart and my mind open to hear and see and know who you want me to encourage, who you want me to, to just to just help or, or be with and, and come alongside. So we pray all of you that listen are inspired to do that in your own lives with so just a fresh passion to do so. So thank you again so much for listening. Please give us a rating or don't forget to subscribe so you know right away when the next podcast drops. Thanks again.